This is the narration for the bike hike route from Pencoid to Barmouth. If you're entering the cemetery from the bike path near the bottom of the hill on Riders Ferry Road, listen to the introduction as you climb to the fork in the road. There will be a small parking lot. Do not make a right turn up the hill. Wait until you've heard the brief introduction before moving on. If you enter through the gate across from the pet cemetery, just wait and listen in the small parking lot before moving on. There's a dog waste bag distributor and collector, which you are welcome to use if you are with your canine companion. Welcome to Laurel Hill West, a historic non-denominational cemetery founded in 1869 by John J. Smith, one of the four founders of Laurel Hill East across the river in Philadelphia in 1836. First and foremost, these are outdoor people museums. Combined, the cemeteries are an arboretum with full-time horticulturalists and many state champion trees. There are more than 6,000 trees and shrubs in the two cemeteries, more than 700 species and cultivars. The cemetery is a nature preserve. Don't be surprised if you see several deer wandering around the property on your walk today, and maybe a groundhog or two. But they are both also active cemeteries. If you see what looks like a burial, please be respectful. Move on, calling as little attention to yourself as possible. I am Joe Lex, retired professor of emergency medicine from Temple University, volunteer tour guide at both Laurel Hill East and Laurel Hill West, and volunteer podcaster for All Bones Considered Laurel Hill Stories and Biographical Bites from Bala Laurel Hill West Stories. Each of those is a monthly podcast telling you about some of our permanent inhabitants. Early in 2022, I recorded a narration for the bike route through Laurel Hill West from the Barmouth Station entrance off the Kidwood Heritage Trail all the way to the Pencoit exit near Riders Ferry Road, where you're standing now. I give you mini-biographies about people on the right side of the trail. Now we are going back to Barmouth, again staying with people on the right side who aren't more than a few feet from the road. While you are wandering, please feel free to take photos, share them. Don't hesitate to stop my narration and investigate the mausoleums up close if something catches your eye. If you just stay on the paved road, you will miss a lot of beautiful stained glass windows, which can best be seen standing at the mausoleum door and peering in. You ready? Okay, let's get started. Look for a concrete ramp that goes up the side of the hill. Walk to its base. Don't bother to climb it. Up the hill, you're going to see a stone to the right with the name Petal. This is the final resting place of Henry Hank McClary Petal, graduate of Penn Charter School, Valley Forge Military Academy, and the Wharton School of Business. He lived from 1931 to 2005. He served as a first lieutenant with the U.S. Army in the Korean conflict. Afterwards, he became a successful real estate developer and for many years was president and chief executive officer of Burdett Tomlin Memorial Hospital in Cape May, New Jersey. Now it's known as Cape Regional Medical Center. He was a founding member and director of the Wetlands Institute of New Jersey. He was also president of the Cape May Marlin and Tuna Club and several yacht clubs in Florida. His wife, 
Blanche Boniface Petal died in 1975, 30 years before Harry, and is interred in the Bryn Mawr section of Laurel Hill West. Next to Harry Petal is a boulder, and then a tomb top for an underground mausoleum with the name McCann. William James McCann Jr., 1869-1932, was son of sugar refinery founder William James McCann Sr., who's interred at Mount Moriah Cemetery. William made enough money from the molasses and syrup business that he lived at the Ritz-Carlton. William's wife, Rena Scholl McCann, 1874-1959, made news in 1940 when she published three copies of the costliest book ever made, a handmade 500-page genealogy of her Scholl, Birdsall, Stockton, Allied families. 300 of the pages are watercolor paintings. The book took six years to complete, and one copy immediately went to the Metropolitan Museum. The Inquirer reporter who wrote a story about this would not tell the cost of the book, but implied that it was in the $40,000 to $50,000 range, and this is in 1940. Okay, turn left and walk just a few feet to a small tree. Under it is a ground-level bronze plaque dedicated to Richard Wilson Rogers, who everyone called Riddy. Riddy spent 17 years at Laurel Hill West as a groundskeeper, and he was loved by all. He died unexpectedly shortly after his 60th birthday. Laurel Hill West co-workers planted this tree in his honor. It's a European hornbeam, also known as a musclewood tree. His friends posted a poem on his memorial page. Wished no one a last farewell nor a goodbye. He was gone before we knew it, and God only knows why. Keep walking, but don't make a turn just yet. Look for the gravestone of George Halverson, 1851-1938. He was a successful carpenter with eight grandchildren and eight great-grandchildren. His cause of death is listed as acute indigestion. Keep walking, look for the street sign that says Bridge Road, follow the painted markers on the road and make a right turn at the corner. Soon you will see the tombstone of the Ditzel family. The two Ditzel brothers, Frank, whose name is on the side, and Forrest, whose name is on the front at the bottom, both served in World War II. Frank, 1917-1969, was a rifleman in France who was awarded a silver star for maintaining his position at an outpost on his battalion's right flank when the unit was under heavy artillery fire and in danger of counterattack. Although wounded, he refused to be evacuated until the counterattack ceased. After the war, Frank became a Greyhound Bus Lines ticket agent, and he was a mummer with the Furco and the Hegemon string bands. Younger brother Forrest, 1919-1987, was a staff sergeant in the Second World War who earned the Bronze Star. After the war, he spent 25 years with the Upper Darby Police Department. Go past a tree with the metal tag 4008. This is a silver maple, Acercixarinum, a tree native to this area. Not far from the Ditzel marker, 
is a stone for George Donach, 1863-1928. He ran a textile mill at 1837 Columbia Avenue near Parkside Avenue in Winfield. At an auction of his factory in 1925, the newspaper ad said you could purchase laces, embroideries, infants and ladies wear, art needle goods, notions, hosiery, and underwear. Keep going up the road. Before the next tree, there's a rather large stone at the Lansdowne section with the name William L.C. Forrester, M.D., on top. Dr. Forrester was born in New York in 1861 and graduated from the University of New York in 1881 and Bellevue School of Medicine three years later. He came to Philadelphia in 1899 and established his practice in Tioga. In 1904, an 11-year-old boy named Charles Smith was bitten by an apparently rabid dog and went to Forrester for care. Although Louis Pasteur had developed his method of rabies post-exposure prophylaxis in 1884, it was still not accepted as standard care. Dr. Forrester put the Smith boy through the series of injections, and he survived. Word got out that other Philadelphia physicians started using the therapy. Dr. Forrester had a stroke while seeing a patient in his Tioga office in 1910 and died a few hours later. His daughter, Isabella, was only 16 when he died. She married Eber Lakin McCoy, a man born in Macon, Georgia, who went to Ohio by covered wagon when he was six years old. During the Great War, he served as a radio operator and then worked as a taxi driver and a printer until his death in 1976. Eber McCoy was related to the McCoys, who had a decades-long feud with the Hatfields in the late 19th century. Now go past Tree 1401, another sugar maple, and go past the stones for Haggerty and Schwartz. Now go past Tree 1387, a large ginkgo. Stop when you see a stone with the name Ulrich. Emil F. Ulrich was born in Swabia, Germany in 1873. He studied music at Stuttgart. He came to the U.S. in 1892 and he formed a band. The next year, when he was 20, he joined Gambrina Sangerkrans and within three years had become its conductor. He led the men's singing groups for many years, sometimes in direct competition with Eugen Klee, interred up the incline on the other side of the road in the mausoleum with the angels and trumpets. I'll point that out when we get there. In 1926, Emil conducted a choir at the sesquicentennial. He taught music at Temple University from 1913 to 1943, and his best-known song is probably Beautiful Garden of Love. He wrote it for women's chorus. Keep walking, go past Dice, Dunkerley, and Tree 1386. This one is a sugar maple. Then go past Hesketh, Sheldon, and Smith. Stop and look back from the road about 20 feet for the stone of Anna A. Bacon, M.D., 1849-1925. Dr. Bacon did not get her medical degree until 1895. 
She served as the resident physician and matron at the Chestnut Hill Home for Female Consumptives, which was founded in 1887 at 8601 Stanton Avenue. That is now the site of Chestnut Hill Rehabilitation Hospital. Just in front of Dr. Bacon's stone is a small bronze plaque with the name Sixto Canonis and the inscription, The Lord is My Shepherd. Sixto was only 37 years old when he was killed in a sewer excavation cave-in in Willow Grove in 1957. It buried him under tons of rocks and earth. Co-workers struggled for hours to free him, but he was pronounced dead at the scene from a fractured skull and asphyxiation. This is probably a good place to look up the hill ahead to what is appropriately called the summit section. You should have a pretty good view of the top half of the large mausoleum that belongs to the brewer, John Betts, and his family. It is the largest mausoleum in the cemetery. Come back for one of the guided tours and you will probably hear more. Better yet, become a member of the Friends of Laurel Hill and you'll get a chance to have an inside the mausoleum tour. Keep walking. You might want to peek inside the Wanner Mausoleum to see the beautiful stained glass of a grieving woman. Walk a few more feet. There's a stone about six feet tall with the name Bittler at the top. It's close to tree 3413, a black gum, Nissa Sylvatica. Behind the stone, is a military marker for Dr. Joseph Clarence Bittler, born in 1874. He graduated from Hahnemann in 1899, and he served in the Great War as a major. His career was spent as a surgeon with the Pennsylvania Railroad. I know you're curious about the neat little mausoleum with what appears to be a chimney, and it has a plain but pretty stained glass. The name Diversa is over the door. But, so far, no one is interred there, so I have nothing to report. The next mausoleum belongs to the Cassette family, not to be confused with the Cassatt family of painter Mary Cassatt, who's buried in Paris. Her brother Alexander was president of Pennsylvania Railroad. Several Cassette brothers are interred here, including Louis Napoleon Cassette, who was an importer of pharmaceuticals and became a well-known philanthropist in the city. He established the Cassette Foundation in 1946. In 1965, the Louis N. Cassette Auditorium opened at the Bury Building at the Temple University campus, and his foundation continues to make grants to nonprofits throughout the area. The stained glass is quite pastoral with some beautiful trees. Just past tree 1366, a sugar maple, you will be across the road from the mausoleum of choir director Eugen Klee, whom I mentioned a few minutes ago. You can hear his story on the narration that guides you from Barmouth to Pencoid. Now, just before the corner, there's a circular plot with several markers in a small grove of false cypress trees, Cama Esoparis piscifera. There's a small marker with the names William E. Goff and W. Eugene Goff. Yes, they are the same family with an alternate spelling. 
The family patriarch Milton Leroy Goff, G-O-U-G-H, changed the spelling of the family name in 1909 to G-O-F-F because he was tired of people mispronouncing it. A later generation changed it back to the original spelling. You will also note a stone for Marion Elizabeth Goff, who died from encephalitis when she was only 11 years old. On a happier note, look a few feet back under the canopy. There's a stone with the name Sabalos. Modesta and Mercedes Maria Sabalos were born in Cuba, and they started to raise their family there. But in 1961, they disliked what was happening under Fidel Castro, and they sent their daughters, Isolina and Mercedes, to school at Ravenhill Academy of the Assumption in Germantown. Ravenhill is now part of Jefferson University. Although they exchanged frequent letters, the Sabalos family was apart for five years. In June 1966, the family was reunited at Philadelphia Airport. Modesto and Mercedes announced at that time they wanted to stay in this country, and here is where they settled for the rest of their lives. Modesto died in 1997, Mercedes Maria in 2010. The mausoleum on the corner with the bushes in front belongs to the Powell family. Edward Powell was founder of one of the first seamless hosiery knitting mills in the area. He died in 1941. He bequeathed $100,000 to be used for the Edward Powell Award starting in 1943. This is awarded every four years to quote the person whose individual efforts and personal application to the manufacturing and commercial interest of the city of Philadelphia has produced the best results during the past four years for the benefit and prosperity of the city of Philadelphia. This $100,000 prize has been given to Ralph Roberts, Kenny Gamble, G. Stockton Strawbridge, and others. There was a big flap in the year that Mayor Frank Rizzo was announced as winner of the award, especially since Rizzo had appointed the three men who were determined the winner. The next Powell Award is due to be presented in 2023. Follow the signs on the road and make a right turn at the corner and stop in front of the Sloan Mausoleum. That nearby tree, by the way, is a large-leaf linden, Tilia platophyllos. Charles Frederick Sloan Sr. was born in Quebec. His son, Charles Frederick Jr., who lived from 1886 to 1953, spent many years as a textile technician with the U.S. Marine Quartermaster Corps at Broad in Washington in the Point Breeze section of the city. That building is now highly sought apartments. Next door to the Sloan Mausoleum is that of Jonathan Jenks, paintbrush manufacturer. He lived from 1859 to 1941. The tree number 1336 is a northern red oak, Quercus rubra. Jenks took over the family business of Elder and Jenks, which was established in 1793 and currently has been in the same family for nine generations. His specialty was brushes for fine art. Jonathan and his wife Isabel lived at 1900 Rittenhouse Square. Not far past the Sloan Mausoleum and past the Red Maple, tree number 3343, Acer Rubrum, 
are two stones for the Pahl family, P-A-H-L. The front stone is the final resting place of three brothers who fought together in the Great War. Frederick, born in 1888, and William, born in 1892, and Carl, born in 1894, served with the Corps of Engineers. On 5 October 1918, in the Argonne Forest, an enemy shell blast killed Carl and wounded his two brothers. Carl's name is on the back of the stone. William and Frederick are on the front. A few feet up the road and very close to the road is a plaque for Winifred Winnie Harris. It is under an American holly, Elix Opaka, a very appropriate resting place for Winnie. She was a community activist in the Powelton Village neighborhood of West Philadelphia. She was a pioneer in community gardening, especially in plants that require minimal water. After achieving a bachelor's degree in interior design from Drexel University, she opened the firm Harris Coles & Associates. She became a leader of the Holly Streets Community Garden, and during her tenure, 2,900 trees were planted in Philadelphia. She was recognizable by her denim jacket and her hair kerchief. Tragically, in February of 2017, Winnie was shot and killed in her home on North Holly Street. The Holly Street Garden remains open to volunteers for short-term, seasonal, or regular projects. Now walk a few more feet up the hill, but stop before you cross the road when you see the tall cross with ivy and the name G. Inslee Jones. Jones, 1853 to 1906, was a junior member of the wholesale liquor firm of Gilliams, Jones & Company. Jones had been suffering from abdominal pain for some time and it apparently drove him to an untimely death. In November of 1906, he briefly checked his mail. He told his company clerk, I'll be back in half an hour. And then he went to an alley behind the hardware store at 417 Market Street and shot himself. He left his wife and an 18-year-old daughter. A 15-year-old daughter, Olga, had died five years earlier. Now, you don't have to leave the path because there is no marker to see, but about 20 feet behind the Jones Cross is the final resting place of Gladys Hall. Her name is not well known today, but in the 1920s and 1930s, Gladys Hall was one of the best-known contributors to movie fan magazines, Screenland, Photoplay, Modern Screen, etc., she specialized in interviews with movie stars, and she published hundreds of articles. She married photographer Russell E. Ball. That made her Gladys Hall Ball. Now do not turn right, but cross the street to the mausoleum with the name Benjamin Greer on the transom. You will pass a street sign that says Bridge and Woodlawn. You are now in the Woodlawn section of the cemetery. Benjamin Greer, who lived on Rittenhouse Square, was founder of the Bellevue Worsted Mill at 16th and Hunting Park. Greer was a member of the Union League and other Philadelphia organizations. He was very politically involved. 
In October of 1920, he had all of his family together for a reunion dinner. Afterwards, he excused himself as he did not feel well. He died in his bed a few hours later. Benjamin Jr., who took over the business with his brother, lived until 1951 and is also interred in the mausoleum. Now head to the mausoleum next door. It belongs to Albert Baltz, president of the J&P Baltz Brewing Company at 31st and Thompson, right smack in the middle of brewery town. If you want to learn more about brewers and beer in Philadelphia, check out the podcast I did in 2022 called In Heaven There Is No Beer. And look for an annual tour on brewers that's given by guide Mike Lewandowski. Now, go to the next mausoleum with the name Tremner. It has four hollies around it, Dragon Lady Holly up front, if it's autumn, you will see an abundance of bright red berries and blue princess holly in back. The mausoleum belongs to Charles Tremner and his wife and daughter, both named Sarah. Charles Tremner's business was balances, scales, and weights. They were the best in the country. He eventually became known as Tremner the Scale Man. His work was so precise and so trusted he could accurately weigh a grain of rice that for many years Tremner scales were used by assayers and melters at the Philadelphia branch of the United States Mint. There's a podcast about the mint also called Mint Condition. A little further is the mausoleum of George Derbyshire and his family. George had a large furniture store on Front Street. On October 2nd, 1926, George either fell or jumped from his yacht, Alpha, which was anchored off Delaware Beach during a weekend party. His body was recovered two days later. Walk a little further. And under a Carolina hemlock tree, Suga Caroliniana, which is native to the Appalachians, there are many stones of the blended family Dixon, Fox, Hallowell, and Stanger. Up front is Henry R. Hallowell, who lived from 1898 to 1991, graduated from Penn Charter School, where he was captain of the football team in 1915, and then from Yale in 1919. He ran a very successful investment firm. He lived in a house called Burberry at Greystone and Bancoid in Lower Marion. It is well hidden. It is just a block or so off City Avenue. And I have lived in the neighborhood for 33 years. And I did not know about this house until I was researching this narration. When Henry died at 93, he had been a member of the Union League for 68 years. I checked with the historian at the Union League, who tells me that Henry is surpassed by only two other members. A few feet further is a mausoleum that is not for two families, but for one, the Weiss family. Christian Weiss was a druggist who lived from 1860 to 1919. He was single. He lived on North 6th Street. He died of a volvulus or twisted gut. 
His sister Louisa had this mausoleum built and then moved the remains of their parents, Martin and Crescenzia Weiss, from Mount Vernon Cemetery across Ridge Avenue from Laurel Hill East. Louisa, who also never married, died in 1921. Next to Weiss, almost on the corner, is the mausoleum of Tinius Olson and his wife Charlotte Elin Olson. In front are two European beaches. The Egyptian revival theme is obvious from the street, but I want you to get up close if you can and look at the wonderful snakehead door handles. Tinius Olson had a job that would be the envy of any 12-year-old boy. He got to try and break things. He was born in Norway in 1845. He came to the United States in 1869. He discovered there was a need for a safe and accurate machine to measure the tolerance and strength of various materials, everything from steel to feathers. He came up with a machine called the Little Giant. It was a machine for tensile, transverse, and compression testing united in a single instrument. It was easy to operate and not expensive. Olson's mechanism became the ancestor of all testing machines subsequently produced around the world. And the company Olson set up to market his invention continues in the testing machine business to this day. You've probably passed their warehouse-like building near the Willow Grove Air Base just off Easton Road in Horsham. Tinius's wife, Charlotte Elan, was a pioneer also. She was six years older than Tinius, and she was from Sweden. She came to the United States in 1868 and studied medicine at Women's Medical College of Pennsylvania, which had been founded in 1850. When she graduated in 1873, she was the first woman from Sweden to become a practicing physician. She returned to Sweden, where her degree was not recognized. So she came back to the United States and practiced at Women's Hospital. She married Tinius in 1874. The large bronze marker on the right by the stairs is that of the Daughters of the American Revolution, the DAR. This designation belongs to the wife of Thorsten Olson, Margarita Winchester Olson, who could trace her lineage back to the days of the beginning of this country. Now, this is going to take a few seconds. You're going to go straight and cross the street behind the Gothic Hera Mausoleum. Look ahead, you'll see a small trail marker on the other side of the road. You're going to pass some graves on the island. The names on those stones are Gates and Galperin. And you can take note of the cluster of eastern red cedars on that island, Juniperus virginiana. Stop when you get to the Kenworthy Mausoleum. Brothers Joseph Hansen and Samuel Pencoast Kenworthy were wool merchants who started the firm in 1891. Their father Thomas was born in England. Joseph and Samuel were both members of the Union League. Joseph, born in 1864, died in 1926. And Samuel, born in 1872, died in 1942. Both wives outlived them by at least 20 years. There's a stained glass of Jesus knocking on a door in the back of the mausoleum. The massive tree is a blue atlas cedar, Cedrus atlantica. The other large tree, number 64, 
is a weeping Higgin cherry, Prunus subhertella, pandula, which is not native to this country, but grows well here. Walk past the Kelly Mausoleum, although there are two attractive stained glass windows on the sides of the building, you can see them from the doors. I want you to head toward the mausoleum with the very prominent Egyptian revival style with the sun and snakes. There is no name on the outside. You can see there's a stained glass with a simple cross in primary colors. This is the Eckert Mausoleum. Samuel Eckert, Sr. was vice president of the William H. Horstman Company, which made military uniforms and equipment. Samuel Baltz Eckert, Jr., born in 1884, graduated from Cornell University in 1908 and joined Sun Oil as a pipe fitter. He survived a near drowning in 1910 when he was 26 years old. He and his companion, Edward Biddle Clay, were in a canoe that capsized nine miles to sea off York Harbor, Maine. They had headed down east to a tennis tournament, which Eckert helped organize. Both victims were only partially conscious when taken to shore. During the Great War, Eckert served with both the British and American forces. In 1927, Samuel Jr. was elected vice president of the Sun Oil Company, and he retired in 1950. He died at 88 in 1973. Walk a few feet to the next mausoleum, which belongs to the Frischmuth brothers. Benoni Frischmuth and his brother were cigar makers. Benoni, born in 1842, was a first lieutenant during the Civil War. He took a wife, Louise Hamilton, who was 30 years his junior. Their daughter, Dorothy, died in 1913 at age 17. There is a stained glass dedicated to her on the right side of the mausoleum. Benoni died in 1917, and his widow began working as a Red Cross volunteer in a home for blind soldiers. Many soldiers had been blinded by chemical warfare during the Great War. She fell in love with a former soldier named Michael Inselbuck, whom she married in 1920. Louise died in 1932 and is interred here with her first husband and her daughter, although there is a cenotaph or empty tomb for her second husband. The next mausoleum contains the Stevenson family. Patriarch George was born in 1845 and served in the Civil War. In 1867, he married Mary Hughes Barnes. For nearly half a century, he was a trustee and elder of the Arch Street Presbyterian Church, and he lived at 1921 Spruce Street. He retired from his job as a banker at age 65 and lived another 15 years before he died. Now, go past the Miller Mausoleum. Although it does have a stained glass of Jesus praying, which is in bad need of restoration. Go ahead and stop at the statues near the corner. Everyone wants to know about the dog and the cat near the corner. First, they are not buried here, although Laurel Hill West does have a pet cemetery. 
The lot belongs to Samuel Derrickson Hall, who was in the coal business with Henry F. Bruner and who died in 1920. Lee Holloway, who has the dog and cat grave marker, was born in 1931. He attended Marple Newtown High School, where he was involved in theater. While growing up, he had three dogs, Boxer, Minpincer, and Archie from Pagliacci, who lived to be 21 and became his favorite. The statue shows Archie and a favorite cat, Oliver Boo. Lee called Archie a ring-tailed oyster hound and had the statue built years before he died. As you can see, cemetery visitors have made it a favorite place to leave dog and cat memorabilia. The front says, more than just friends. The right side says, their love and loyalty never wavered. And the left side says, they asked for so little, but gave so much. There is no inscription on the back. The plant in the large urn is an Arctic fire dwarf red twig dogwood, Cornus cerisia. Now, take a few seconds, go across the road. You are going to be aiming for the large cross with the name Bowen at the base. You will pass a street sign for the corner of Barmouth and Plymouth. Samuel Bispam Bowen Sr. was the son of the founder of Pecora Paint Company, Smith Bowen. He rose to become chairman of the board. He lived in the Alden Park Manor Apartments in Germantown. He was a member of PAFA, the Union League, and both the Philadelphia and Germantown cricket clubs. His son, Samuel B. Bowen Jr., a graduate of Penn, took over the company, but died four years later. He too was a clubman. In existence since 1862, Pecora is still very much in the paint business. The mausoleum set back from the road belongs to Arthur Henry Lee, 1859-1938, son of medieval scholar and publisher Charles Henry Lee, who is buried at Laurel Hill East. Arthur took over the family publishing firm of Lee Febiger when his father died. Arthur left an estate of nearly three quarters of a million dollars, which was distributed among Children's Hospital, Harvard University, and the University of Pennsylvania. Arthur's wife, Carolyn Brownlee, had preceded him in death in 1930. She was heavily involved in the International Red Cross, and in 1919 had served as official Philadelphia host to the visiting king and queen of Belgium. The Lees had no children. Under the tree close to the road, you'll see a grave cover for Sobernheimer family. Frederick Sr., 1857-1929, was a law graduate from Penn. He spent many years on the Board of Education for Philadelphia and was a longtime member of the Union League. Frederick Jr., 1887-1913, was an up-and-coming lawyer. But on January 8, 1913, the 24-year-old was found dead on a bed in a room at the Bellevue Stratford Hotel with a revolver clutched in his right hand and a wound in his right temple. Walk a little further. You're going past Estabrooks and Watts looking for the stone for the family Oberholzer.
The matriarch Sarah Louisa Oberholzer, 1841-1930, was a force of nature in her day. As she was growing up in Euclid Township, her parents' house served as a stop on the Underground Railroad for enslaved people on their way to Canada. She became a poet and an author and was virulently anti-smoking and anti-drinking. She served as an officer with the Women's Christian Temperance Association. She took an interest in what we would today call microeconomics, and she helped set up a nationwide network of primary school savings bank systems, which encouraged children to put aside a few pennies weekly to teach them the habits of thrift and saving. At its peak in the 1920s, four million American school children, one in six, had a savings account through their school. Sarah's son, Dr. Ellis Paxson Oberholzer, 1868-1936, was a famed biographer and historical writer. Further down the road, you're going past Miller and Bond, there's a stone for the Raff family. The patriarch, Albert Raymond Raff Sr., 1865-1947, was a builder who ran unsuccessfully for mayor, served as superintendent of the Philadelphia Mint, and in 1935 was named collector of the Port of Philadelphia by President Franklin Roosevelt. A few feet further is a stone for John William Purdy, a dentist who collapsed as he was boarding a trolley at the 69th Street Terminal in 1936. He was pronounced dead of a heart attack. The Burpee family plot is not related to Washington Atlee Burpee of Seed Company fame. He is interred in Doylestown. This Burpee family, Frank, was vice president of a meatpacking firm. Up the hill you will see a monument with the name Curtis. This is the final resting place of Cyrus H.K. Curtis, founder of the Curtis Publishing Company, publishers of Ladies Home Journal, Saturday Evening Post, and other magazines. His first wife, Louisa Knapp Curtis, is interred at Laurel Hill East under a pergola down by the Schuylkill River. His daughter, Mary Louise Curtis Box Zimbalist, is founder of the Curtis Institute and the Curtis Arboretum. Cyrus was one of the richest Americans in history. A few feet further down the hill, Charles Wilson McNeely, 1846-1894, is in plot Plymouth 24. There's a large urn on either side of the stone. He was the great-great-grandson of the man who founded McNeely Leather in 1809. In 1929, McNeely's company joined with two other leather manufacturers to become the largest kid leather manufacturing company in the world. Just past Davis is a stone belonging to Wilbur S. Scott, 1889-1944, who spent 25 years with Briar's Ice Cream, including eight years as president from 1933 to 1941. The Breyer family is at Laurel Hill West in Lot Memorial 51. I did a podcast about Laurel Hill's ice cream connections in October 2022. Its title is Every Brilliant Thing, Ice Cream and Laurel Hill.
A little further, there's a large stone with the name Howell. This oversees the remains of two generations of Howells. Edward Sr. was a naval commander during World War II and was founder of Commander Door Company in Delaware County. A few feet further is a large stone with the name A.J. Nick. That stands for Alphonse Joseph Nick. He was born in 1879. Nick was a Spanish-American war veteran. He became head of the A.J. Nick Coat and Apron Supply Company and Laundry. He also served as vice president of the Linen Supply Association of America. He died rather young, before his 50th birthday. He died of myocarditis. He left an estate of $30,000 to his wife, Bertie. As you continue your walk toward the Barmouth exit, take a look at the Korean section to your right. The graves were purchased by the Korean Association of Greater Philadelphia. The first purchase of 65 graves was in 1979. Three other purchases in the 1980s have brought that total up to 120 graves. The graves are administered by the Korean Association and sold to their members. Keep walking down the incline, but shift your gaze to the center strip, just across from tree number 2157, which is a small ginkgo cultivar known as a Magyar ginkgo. You're going to find the final resting place of the Kobayashi family. The Kobayashis were American citizens, some of the 120,000 Asian American citizens who were sent to internment camps during World War II. As you can see, Suya Kobayashi lived past her 100th birthday. In 1988, a federal law awarded a one-time payment of $20,000 to each of about 60,000 survivors of the 10 internment camps. Each check was accompanied by a short note of apology from the U.S. government. This concludes the Laurel Hill West audio tour from Pencoid to Barmouth. There's a picnic table under some trees where you can sit and rest if you like. If you want it, there is another recording which will lead you back to Pencoid. Also follows the stories of people on the right-hand side of the road. I am Joe Lex, retired professor of emergency medicine from Temple University, volunteer tour guide at both Laurel Hill East and Laurel Hill West, and volunteer podcaster of All Bones Considered, Laurel Hill Stories, and Biographical Bites from Bala, Laurel Hill West Stories. You can contact me at joe at joelex.net if you have any comments or suggestions. Stay safe, stay well.